Mystery Mondays. 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 only about 20% of our ability today but yeah. that's just some what happens sometimes isn't it yeah, you know? man. yeah. I feel like the last the last couple have been pretty good so mm. we never know how it's gonna <laughs> yeah. go it's funny isn't it it's always takes by surprise as well because I thought that one was gonna be a good one mm. whereas some of the more rushed ones yeah turn out to be really good ones just turn out to be more rush yeah <laughs> yeah I do love how that comes in like from rush though because like the drum like the little <laughs> drum sound are all pretty yeah. similar anyway everyone welcome to Mystery Mondays I think we're having um, a really spooky Monday on the lead up to Ooh. Halloween. Oh. Uh, we got a really gruesome and morbid tale for oh you all today. My. So um, I think you should all get in bed, make yourself a hot cup of cocoa. Get ready to get scared. Yeah, yeah. and hope that the axe man doesn't come for you this evening. Oh. Let's um, get on some spooky ambiance before we get into the tale today. Ho, 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 ho. The axe man. Suitable. So, this is the mystery 
of the Axeman of New Orleans. Ominous. Hmm. Beginning in 1918, the city and surrounding areas of New Orleans experienced 12 attacks and 6 murders committed by a mysterious figure known only as the Axeman. The Axeman struck only while people were sleeping and never used his own tools, only what he found in the household. His preferred weapon was an axe, which was generally left at the scene of the crime. On the 23rd of May 1918, at 4901 Magnolia Street, Catherine and Joseph Maggio fell victim to the first attack of the Axeman, being violently struck with an axe, and then having their throats slit with a straight razor. Oh, damn. That ain't nice. Catherine's throat had been slit so savagely that she had al almost been decapitated. What? The bodies were discovered by Joseph's brothers, who lived in the same house. Oh. Although strangely, nothing was seen or heard. Which is a bit mental, isn't it? You think someone getting battered yeah. to death with a axe and then having their throat slit to the point of near decapitation yeah. would be a bit noisy. How Damn. big was their house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no valuables were taken from the scene of the crime. The bottom panel of the kitchen door was knocked out, so this was likely the attacker's entry point. The axe used to commit the murders was left behind, covered in blood. That's so twisted. Mm. Like leaving evidence behind. Mm. Yeah, just yeah, whatever he found, he usually yeah. just tried to find an axe at the scene of the crime. And then. Just one month later, on the 28th of June, near the corner of Dujanois and La Harpe Street, Louis Buzema and Anna Lowe were also attacked in their home during the night. Barely alive, they were discovered by the baker John Zanker as he was making his morning deliveries at sunrise. Anna would survive for another seven weeks after the attack, and while in hospital she told police that a large white man with a hatchet had attacked them in their bed. Like the first murder, the bottom panel of their bedroom door was missing, and a bloody axe remained at the scene. Amazingly, Louis Buzema recovered from his savage wounds, but he would never be the same again, mentally or physically. Just over a month after the second attack, a woman known only as Mrs Schneider was found by her husband in the afternoon at their home on the 5th of August. While in bad condition, she was luckily still alive and was rushed to Charity Hospital where she reportedly survived the attack. Upon investigation, the couple's axe was missing from their shed and yet again the bottom panel of their bedroom door was missing. Amazingly, bottom panel of the bedroom door? So it was always like the bottom panel was like kicked in or smashed in and then he would like get in through that. That's so weird. Whoa. It does seem weird, it's doesn't small. it? small. Like, yeah. every, I think of a panel yeah. of a door and it's just like... This is quite know. like a creepy... Um, that is really creepy. You wait You wait until a couple of things that happen later on in the case. It's oh. definitely very creepy. You could imagine that if you were in New Orleans while this was going on, you would be like finding it hard to sleep at night. There's something about almost a lack of care with which he seems to be killing people that makes it even more ominous as well. Like the fact he should leave and stuff behind and like being a bit sloppy. Yeah, I think there's lots of factors. I think there's the savagery of the attacks, mm. the randomness of the attacks. I mean, there's one thing to kill somebody in passion or or anger, but premeditated, mm. cold-blooded, random killing, and not mm. just like a shooting somebody. Not like that's you know good, but you know what yeah. I mean. To, to, to kill someone with an axe and then slit their throat to the point of near decapitation. That's some weird... That's prop. That's yeah. that's like... A-grade, like psychotic serial killer action, isn't mm -hmm. it? 
crazily, um, one week after the attack, Mrs. Schneider successfully gave birth. So yeah, the uh, the third the third woman that got what? attacked managed to give birth Whoa. to a child successfully one week after her attack. Fair play. Good. Yeah, and also amazing, really, that during her ordeal, like because she was in pretty bad shape when she got to the hospital, mm. when she was rushed to the hospital, that the child was so, wasn't mm, damaged. Yeah, mm. you know. Luckily, I, she must have not taken any hits to the stomach. Yeah, and it's it. With a with a um, a woman who's pregnant as well, like trauma that the mum goes through, oh, yeah. that she, it can so induce childbirth. Yeah, yeah, it can mm. induce childbirth. Labor, but yeah. also, um, when like the child will carry that trauma also, like into oh, their right. life. Like mm-hmm. um, a lot of people think that. So I wonder yeah. what the kid was like. Yeah, like, any, yeah. Like, weird, like be a weird thing to like tell your mates when you're older, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, Fear my mum was attacked work. by the axe man of New Orleans. Like well, one week. Yeah. Belly. Just five days after the attack on Mrs. Schneider, 80-year-old Joseph Romano was found by his nieces Pauline and Mary at his home near Tonti and Gravia Street after they'd heard a commotion. Reportedly having seen the attacker as he was leaving, the girls described him as dark, tall, heavy-set, wearing a dark suit and a black slouched hat. Joseph Romano, who had had his head severely bashed in, would die two days later. Later in the month, the New Orleans newspaper recounted that armed men are staying up keeping watch over their sleeping families at night, while the police are seeking to solve the mysteries of the axe attacks, with extra police being put to work daily. After this newspaper article was released, the murders ceased, for a short while at least. But then, on the 10th of March, 1919, Rose Cortemiglia would awaken in the dead of night to see her husband, Charles, desperately trying to fight off the axeman in the dark of their bedroom. Rose and Charles, though badly injured, successfully managed to repel the axeman, and he disappeared into the night. In a devastating turn of events, however, Rose and Charles found their two-year-old daughter, Mary, dead afterwards. Oh, no. I know. Whenever whenever it involves kids, man, that's just... (laughs) The axe used, in keeping with the theme belonged to the Cortemiglias. So, man, I just can't even un- imagine how devastating that was. Mm-hmm. So, before they, I guess, before they were even attacked, it had been done. Three days later, on the 13th of March, 1919, the Times newspaper received a letter from someone claiming to be the Axeman. It was addressed from hell and said the following. Esteemed mortal, they have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether which surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a fell demon from the hottest depths of hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. They have been so utterly stupid as to amuse not only me, but my satanic majesty. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it would be better that they were never born than for them to incur the wrath of the Axeman. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in a close relationship with the Angel of Death. However, the most important part of the letter stated a specific and slightly odd threat to the citizens of New Orleans. To be exact, at 12.15am o'clock, earthly time, next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. 
in my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to the people. So here it is. I am very fond of jazz music. <laughs> I know, it's weird, isn't it? And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose abode a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much better for the people of New Orleans. One thing is for certain, and that is some of those persons who do not jazz it up on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get my axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Taratus, it is about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this for the good of your people, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, <laughs> either in fact or in any realm of human fantasy. Signed, the Axeman. Jesus, he's pretty, loaded. That's a pretty uh, intense letter, isn't it? That yeah. imagine being in New Orleans and that letter came out, yeah. and you hear about this guy wandering the streets. That is terrifying. Mm. I think, yeah. Apparently, the people of New Orleans at the time of this were were absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So, so did he send that to the paper? Did you say? Yeah, he yeah. sent it to the paper to be released in the did, paper. Did they? Did they release it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. I like the fact that you used the word taratus. Yeah, I was going to ask you what that means. So in Greek mythology, that was like a word for like the uh, darkest depths of hell where only the most evil <laughs> creatures lurked. Mm. So it's actually quite educational to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to help, really. Especially in those days, because information obviously wasn't so readily available. But regardless, on the night mentioned in the letter, Tuesday the 19th of March, no one was murdered. It was said that that night... The city was truly alive, as jazz music was blasted from every home, and those who could not afford a record player instead crowded into jazz bars. The letter would also go on to inspire a jazz song titled The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, mm. which we will play out mm. to you all this evening at the end of the show. Oh, nice. For a few months, all was quiet again, until on the night of August the 10th, 1919, when Steve Bocker was badly injured in his home after he awoke to a man standing next to his bed, staring at him in his eyes with an axe in his hand. I think one of the things, like, you know, when you're reading through this, you're going through it quite matter-of-factly, but, like, if you actually put yourself in that man's situation, that's uh -huh. really terrifying. Mm. That's, like, the sort of thing that when you're a kid, you imagine happening, but you, as you grow older, you think, like, oh, that's, like, something... That's, like, something you imagine after watching, like, a horror movie that wouldn't actually happen. Mm. So imagine just coming to and just in the vague darkness of your room, just seeing a guy right next to you, just staring yeah. at you. I always think that in, um, you know, like in, in war films and stuff or like um, battle scenes where you get like a um, an army creep up on another army when it's like mm. in the middle oh, of yeah, the night yeah, and yeah. It's like everyone's just asleep in their mm. tents. I always think that like how terrifying it must be just the to shock. literally wake up getting slaughtered. Like, oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, so damn. little time to react. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Bocker managed to survive the attack, reportedly staggering to a friend's home after the incident, who then called the police. Bocker had memory issues for the rest of his life after this event, and could not recall details of his attacker, most likely due to the blows he received to the head. Later that month, on 2128 2nd Street, 19-year-old Sarah Lauman was attacked in the dead of night. She came to seeing someone quietly creeping through her bedroom window. 
Yeah, again, that's terrifying. Thought, yeah. I'm just like like turning over and come to you and then you just like see something like really quiet. Uh, from the way that you were saying about him like crawling under the, f- the front panel of a door as well, I almost imagine him being almost a bit spider-like yeah. as he's like climbing through these things, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He must have been pretty small, man. Yeah. Well, they was described and all the, the two yeah, reports large. so far are really like a large, yeah. Yeah, large yeah, well-built yeah. man. Yeah. Huh. Strange, yeah. Very athletic. Yeah, so where I was like, yeah, sh- um... When the Axeman came through Sarah Lauman's window, she was knocked unconscious and awoke with many wounds, but lived to tell the tale. Like Steve Bocker, she could not recall details of the attacker when pressed by authorities, but again, this is most likely due to the head trauma received Mm. at the time of the attack. Savage. Two months later, on the 27th of October, 1919, the Axeman attacked Esther and Mike Pipitone at their home on the corner of South Scott and Alua Street. Esther had accidentally fallen asleep in the living room that evening, but reportedly awoke around 1am to the sound of her husband's blood-curdling screams. She ran to their bedroom to find what she described as two unidentifiable dark creatures in her bedroom fleeing the scene. Her husband's head had been struck 18 times, and he died two hours later. The murder had apparently been committed with a bolt and a heavy nut, which was used to secure a circus tent. There had been a circus on the nearby avenue that weekend. Weirdly, this isn't where the story ends for Esther. To escape the mental trauma of the ordeal she suffered at the hands of the Axeman, she moved to Los Angeles to start afresh, and after a short while, married a man named Angelo Albano. Strangely, however, on the second anniversary of her former husband Mike's death, her current husband, Angelo, disappeared without a trace and was never seen or heard from again by anybody close to him, nor were his remains ever discovered by law enforcement or otherwise. Oh, <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? Imagine how creepy I'm, that I'm just like... I've taken one, we shall not have a new one either. It's just weird that oh. it's like on the second anniversary, like the anniversary yeah. of her first That's what I mean, it's like... That's enough to send you doolally, isn't it? Mm, I bet she yeah. had like crazy paranoia. Crazy paranoia. Oh, oh, losing two husbands as well, one brutally and one just not ever knowing how. Yeah. I can't believe I've never heard this story before. Mm-hmm. Before, Like, this seems like a story that would be one that would it's become like, really movie, famous. Yeah. Would, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there must have been at least something. Um, I did um, or a series read that in one of the series of American Horror Story. I think it ah, was yeah. Coven. I think there was a character called the Axeman that was based on the Axeman. Ah, movies. right. Um, so where was I? Um, yeah, Angelo disappeared without a trace, was never seen from or heard from again or his remains were discovered ever by anybody else. Esther recalled that before their marriage, Angelo had ended business relations with a man who went by many names, but mainly Joseph Mumfrey. On the 5th of December, 1920, 1921, Mumfrey visited Esther's home at 5554 East 36th Street in Los Angeles. He demanded $500 in Esther's jewelry, threatening that if she didn't hand it over, she would end up the same way as her husband. In a startling turn of events, however, Esther ended up shooting him with a revolver multiple times, killing him on the spot and putting an end to his demands. Nice. Fair play. (laughs) She was prepared. (laughs) After, I guess, having two husbands killed, she was like, I'm keeping a revolver up by me at all times. Um, Esther was arrested, but claimed to the police that Joseph Mumphrey was the Axeman, and after an investigation, she was acquitted of Mumphrey's death. 
Although it is not known whether the investigation into the Axeman was ended, there were more possible killings attributed to him, but due to the nature of the murders and the fact that fingerprinting technology was not a standard procedure at the time, there were only a few theories as to his identity. Some believed that he was a figure from the mob, getting revenge for black market dealings. Some believed he was a German spy. You've got to bear in mind that um, World War One was going on around the time mm. of the beginning of the attacks. Others still believe that the majority of the later attacks were due to copycat killers mm. who were feeding mm. off the fame and notoriety of the earlier man. murders. I do think the first couple of murders seem a lot more like clinical Brutal. And brutal, mm. and then a lot of the later ones seem a bit more like sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the people. It's weird, like with that woman who saw two people as well. Two yeah. or one? Or two well, that was, that was es- that's um, one of the strange things. That was e- Esther. Oh, okay. Yeah. So her first husband, mm. Mike, she said that when she got into their bedroom, she they were she saw two unidentifiable creatures fleeing the scene. <sighs> Just describing then, them as creatures is creepy. But then enough. later on, she said it was Joseph Mumphrey. Mm. So that is, um, but we'll get into that a little bit in a, mm. in a, in a second. Um, yeah, some believed he was a mob, some mobster, some people believed he was a German spy, some people think there was copycat killers who were feeding off the fame. The more religious and God-fearing crowd believed that the Axeman was indeed a true supernatural figure, as he claimed in his letter to the Times, a demon that came up from hell into people's homes before vanishing into thin air. Others still believe that it was indeed Joseph Mumphrey, as Esther Pepitoni claimed. Although it is worthwhile pointing out that Esther's later statements to law enforcement do contradict her earlier ones. After her first husband Mike's death, she said she saw two mysterious dark creatures fleeing the scene, Mm. whereas later on in life, she started to claim that she saw Joseph Mumphrey standing over Mike's body on the night of the attack, with no mention of a second assailant. It all just seems a bit inconsistent. Some people speculate that the Axeman's rampage began much earlier than 1918, possibly even as far back as 1879, due to several other unsolved murders across the United States that fit the murderer's modus operandi in the years leading up to the famous New Orleans killing spree. Mm. Regardless of whether the Axeman of New Orleans was a mobster, a demon from the bleakest depths of hell, or a deranged madman, one thing is for sure. His identity is and most likely always will be a mystery. <gasps> so yeah, there you go. That was such a good mystery, man. Mm. That was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a good one. Yeah, that was be a good freaky, one. man. Mm-hmm. Definitely like a very freaky one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was weird. Like, um, it seemed to be uh, couples like, as well. Yeah. You know, creeping up on like, on, like couples. Yeah, quite a like, lot. I mean, obviously there was that like, Sarah Lama yeah, who was 19 mm. and there was an like, 80-year-old dude as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's weird that everyone seemed to be quite different. That's what I thought. Mm. Like, from mm. that 80-year-old man and that 19-year-old, like, girl. Think how different of, like, two people that is. One yeah. thing that did seem to be, like, a like a regular occurrence was a lot of the people that were attacked were Italian immigrants, which oh, led okay. some people oh. to think that... Um, like, think of all the names I said tonight. Mm. Mm. There was only a couple mm. that didn't have, um, like, Pepitoni and all the other ones. It's like... Mm. It's almost like um, some could speculate that maybe the Axeman was deliberately targeting Italian immigrants for whatever reason. Why anybody would like specifically have it out for yeah. Italian immigrants, I don't really know. Mm. And once got given like a really bad pizza. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, yeah, but it's a crazy gruesome story, isn't it? I don't want to say it's a yeah. good story, because obviously... It, it's a savage story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, an, it's an intriguing story, and it's uh-huh. one befitting of, of Halloween month. Yeah. Mm. It um, made me think as well, like... Um, 
it was almost about the act of doing it because quite a lot of people survived or survived for a certain time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like he went One in. One lady survived for seven weeks. Um, yeah, so, so, several other the people. The first murder was like savagely, like yeah, you said, like yeah. they completely. They were beaten to death, but then afterwards, then even after they had the been neck. killed, that's like proper, like, Nearly decapitated, like, the yeah, woman and yeah. stuff. But Imagine then the, the other ones seemed to be, like, he would go in, chop them up a bit, and then run off. Or, yeah. Like, and just kind of, like, leave them whatever state they were, and leave the weapon and everything. And, the like, thing is, I think the, um, I think there's two things which point to, like, the utmost depravity of the Axeman, whoever he was. Mm. And that's, yeah, the fact that he severely mutilated corpse, in the first cases anyway, after they had died, and also the fact that he killed a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, because yeah. that's like next level... Depravity. Yeah. Yeah, depravity mm -hmm. and brutality, because I think every it ingrained in everyone is something to just... Even if not look after babies, just leave them alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> there's, yeah, see, that's, that's next level, isn't it? That letter was terrifying as well. Do you know, is that the same title of the letter that the Zodiac Killer was famous for? I feel like when, we, when we covered the, the, the Zodiac Killer The Zodiac Killer was obviously, was obviously famous for um, sending in um, letters to the police. Yeah. I can't remember if he um I feel like his most famous address. one was From Hell. Oh, was it? Yeah, mm. and I think that was the same name you said earlier for that one, which... Yeah, no, he did say that yeah. it, it was addressed From Hell, the letter from the Axeman of New Orleans, but I can't remember with, with the, the Zodiac Killer. Right, right, right. But yeah, um, terrifying. Double check, double check the panel on my door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah bottom panel. Yeah, and, and play lots of jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jazz through the night. You don't seem to hear of things like so many things like that nowadays. Yeah. Like, Maybe it's because it'd be a lot hard, like they like say, hard, no, CCTV. Yeah, thing. and like fingerprints and, fingerprints and, and stuff, as they, as they you know, said, yeah. But, like he was just he was just doing this stuff and then just like leaving weapons at the scene of the crime just yeah. covered in blood. Yeah. It's like no, you know I guess but some of the brutal one, most brutal ones that I can think of that we covered was like the Jack the Ripper one that was all like the prostitutes and everything of London. Mm -hmm. That one and then also do you remember that like that baby baby killer lady as well? Oh, she was horrible. Mm. Wasn't you she? Know? That wasn't on Mystery Mondays, but that yeah, was that yeah. No, that was, yeah, yeah, that was just talking about yeah, but that was yeah that horrible lady and she was I can't remember she got given some nickname but it was um yeah but she it was basically like, made up she was a midwife. That they killed but, yeah. and like the amount that they got away with but it was all very long like a long time ago and it's almost yeah. like it's deterred well i think back in the day obviously people don't talk about it now but um if you go back like 100 years ago plus the majority of murders probably were gotten away with mm. yeah like, i expect the majority yeah. of them were or, or you know mm. yeah, or sometimes they would put cases to bed but the wrong person would be tried and in some cases even hung to death and stuff i mean brutal time to live really mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like Nowadays we have a lot more rights, obviously. Um, mm. Imagine some that have been like lost to time as well, like in like Roman times or like, oh, yeah. in Viking mm. yeah, times yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff, like when it would even be even like harder to like prove anything. Yeah, or, like, yeah. <laughs> you would imagine there would have been like people back then that would have had the same notoriety as mm. a Jack the Ripper or someone like that. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. You don't you don't see it kind of recorded in through no, history in no. the annals of history. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have a look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think obviously that it depends on how the society is set up. So obviously some societies um especially like a viking society or something even though a lot of them were like farmers you know just during certain parts of the year all of them would have to a certain extent been sort of like warriors and it was ingrained mm -hmm. in their culture so they probably wouldn't 
have necessarily had serial killers in the same way because mm. to have a serial killer what you need is almost like a society that's set up more like ours where people are just going about their day-to-day stuff in like normal jobs and not being very violent mm. and then there's like one person that's deranged going around mm. killing innocent people in there mm. I suppose back then it would be like the destruction of villages or like you know yeah, in, the, yeah, in, the, um, yeah. in the kind of um, yeah I mean let's face it and certainly lots of things like you know like obviously sexual assaults and stuff were like rampant back in the oh days. yeah do you know what I mean so that would have like been super yeah. but yeah I guess it's like where do you What's the distinction between killing somebody and being like? Being a but in those days, killing somebody wouldn't have made you a serial killer. They, you have mm. to fit a certain criteria to be a, a serial killer, mm. don't you? Rather than just a bog standard killer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I reckon Rome. Rome, you could have oh, had like yeah. that was a bit more. Like well, that, Julius wasn't Caesar it? was murdered, wasn't he? Yeah, mm. by tons of people. Well, by like yeah. all the rest of the different. Yeah, by by his, all the politicians cohorts. essentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stabbed him in the death. back. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. So, yeah. any um, any thoughts or follow-ups on the on the Axe Man of New Orleans? Any mm. any guesses or theories as to who he was? I don't reckon it was a mob member. No, like they were saying, because I just feel like well, I like you were saying the Italian thing, but apart from that, it seems pretty mm. random the choices, and mm. and for it to be like someone that was dealing with black market dealings that have gone wrong and stuff, mm. it didn't really make sense to me that those sort of characters. Like a 19-year-old girl and an 80... I don't know. But I don't yeah. know. I mean, you don't know, do you? Yeah. Did some um, people describe him as, like, a tall white man? And then... The, um, yeah, one person did. I think it was the two um, girls, the nieces of the eight, of the 80-year-old man. Mm. Um, yeah, the um, the girls described him as tall, dark, heavy set, wearing a dark suit and a black oh, slouch hat. Um, yeah, there was another account yeah, as well. I thought, we I, I, mean, cause then mm. I thought that was strange that some... Like, if it was the same person... Some yeah. Or unless it was just two. Yeah, it was. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Anna. Anna. Uh. Low. The one that survived for seven weeks in hospital before eventually succumbing to her wounds and dying. Ooh. While um she was um questioned by police in hospital, she described uh the attacker as a large white man mm. with a hatchet. Mm. So in both cases large, but in one case white and the other case dark. But then mm. again, dark doesn't necessarily mean dark skin color. It could, could it just mean yeah. Like- yeah. Wearing dark in clothes yeah, and it was dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's dark. hard for someone not to appear dark if mm. they're in a really dark room, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> the Italian immigrant thing is interesting to me. Like yeah, maybe there's definitely. a connection there. Like, like a. I guess what you'd have to. People. I mean, obviously, New Orleans is known. Obviously, it's got it's a French name, isn't it? New Orleans comes from it's come from French, and um, a lot of those sort of that that area of the United States, and um, it's quite common to for people to even speak. French in in New Orleans. You don't hear so much about Italian connections in New Orleans. Obviously, there is a strong Italian connection in the USA in general, but you think think more of New York, don't Mm, you? Yeah. And and places like that, um, rather than, and like Boston, rather than Mm. New Orleans. But I guess if there was like in a district where there just happened to be a high number of Italians, then then it's very circumstantial evidence, isn't it, to say that. Oh, yeah. he was targeting Italians. If they just if if eight out of ten people are Italians, mm. then of course it's likely that. Yeah, mm. that's what I was thinking as well. Um, how close in the vicinity of each other were all these murders committed? Was it like all over New Orleans, or was, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, it does. It does the... sort of say like well, it just says yeah in New Orleans it doesn't say it was a specific section. Obviously, I did um, mm. mention all of the like the actual specific places where the murders yeah, took place, but obviously mm. not being a native of New Orleans, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, look them all on a map and see how like kind of close they were together and stuff. It's definitely someone from New Orleans, I think. I yeah. wonder if on the night of when the jazz was played 
if he was just wandering the streets and like listening to the jazz and well, the houses. Well, I think smiling. Like, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, like, look, what I've, <clears throat> look what I can do. You know I, mean, I mean? There's two ways of looking at that, isn't there? There was either that, like, when he sent the letter to the police, if it was him that sent the letter, mm. he might not have even done it, but he was getting off on the fear and almost like the power oh, totally. of like yeah, making yeah. people do what that's, he wanted. That's what I got from it. Or it he thing. actually was stalking the streets mm. and was mm. ready to kill anyone that didn't, but maybe if literally everybody in New Orleans was yeah. either playing it mm. on vinyl I think it's a bit both fun. of those things. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. probably maybe. was wandering around. Yeah, you can imagine him just, yeah, just, like, just smiling and being like, "I've done this." <laughs> For all of his um, bravado, though, especially in his letter saying that, like, you know, there was no way they could catch him and that he was like a demon from the darkest depths of hell mm. and all this stuff. He, I do think that he did have a, a display a certain degree of caution because, you know, when um, in that newspaper article before the one that he sent in, where it said that, you know, um, you know, men were staying up at night watching over their families armed and that extra police had been deployed and everything like that there wasn't another attack so, after that for lay low yeah mm. for seven months there was a there was a quiet point for seven months after that mm. um yeah that was the, the new orleans states newspaper armed men are staying up keeping watch over their families at night while the police are seeking to solve the mysteries of the axe attacks with extra police being put to work daily mm. so there was a seven month gap until the next murder it was almost like you waited for things to die down mm. wait until people have that false sense of security things getting back to normal and then started up again mm. um so yeah he obviously was quite um yeah and he got cautious. fought off by like several few, people yeah yeah well. so he couldn't have yeah. been like do you know what i mean yeah but like, that rose and um and Charles uh, Cortemiglia, the one that's unfortunately the, the little child died, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, seems like when you know when Rose came to and saw that Charles was trying to repel the axe man and she sort of joined in and helped him, they did manage to successfully make him mm. get lost, essentially. I thought a crazy one was the one where you were saying she got knocked unconscious as well. And then, then she came to. still went to like live after Yeah, that, that was the 19-year-old girl, yeah. Yeah, and he like didn't even... Like almost finished the job. Yeah, that's what weirded yeah. me out with it. Like, he was just yeah, like that is really strange. strange. And then just go. It was I almost like he wanted her to like live through it and like mm. have to deal with that. Either that, or it points more to like a copycat killer that mm. wanted almost yeah that was feeding off the fame and almost the excitement of the notoriety of it, but themselves wasn't. Well, they weren't such a heinous person themselves, so they weren't capable of of mm. doing something like quite so crude. Almost like mm. they were obviously. <laughs> A brutal and twisted person to even break into somebody's house and then assault them but I guess there's a difference between knocking somebody unconscious and then maybe thinking like oh actually this is like a bit weird and too much I need mm-hmm. to like go okay I'm done or yeah <laughs> rather than like okay now it's time to get out the old no, yeah. the old tools mm. <laughs> you know yeah savage man so I think in that one you know you could see it as potentially a copycat killer mm. um, or maybe yeah maybe he was getting more sloppy as time was going on maybe he was getting more paranoid and, and cautious of, of being caught as time went on because mm. he was getting so famous so he was getting more like freaked out and wanting to leave the scene quicker I don't know just mm. sort of brainstorming mm. <laughs> yeah and obviously the guy who just went completely missing body never yeah. found yeah that's a, that's a weird one yeah, I don't, the, yeah, again that almost makes me think if like that one maybe with the Angelo guy Angelo Albano maybe it makes me think that that sounds almost more like a mobster thing like yeah. disappearing off the face of the earth, and maybe you know if some mobsters were trying to have a twit, uh, like a bit of a twisted laugh, they were like, "Let's do it on the anniversary of our first husband's death." Mm. They'll really get to her. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like either what? that, or it's a complete coincidence. Mm. They when, didn't even realise that it was the anniversary, and just do you know what I mean? Yeah, these things happen. When she shot um, 
um, uh, Joseph Mumphrey. Yeah, what was the situation with that again? Like um, you- Mumphrey visited Esther's home at 5554 East 36th Street in Los Angeles. He demanded $500 in Esther's jewelry. See, this is like straight up mobster. Right? This is what you expect yeah. from like a mobster. So, threatening that if she didn't hand it over, she would end up the same way as her husband. And she just blasted him away. Um, in a South, yeah, and pow, then pow. she just turned around and just—I guess she just had a revolver on her or in her handbag—and mm. then somehow what? <laughs> just shot him multiple times with a revolver, literally killing him dead on the spot. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, no, yeah, yeah, no, it's just like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think like fair shout. You do yeah. think, well, that's sort of that is justice, really. In that case, mm. I mean, Let it's justice it's, be done. It's your it's your um, responsibility to look after yourself, isn't it? Mm. You know, that's your responsibility because no one else can do that for you. Mm. It's, you know, it's all good and well, you know, saying, you know, expecting the police to do it. But if you're dead when the police turn up, well, then there's nothing they can do. Yeah. <laughs> is there? Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, no, I think fair play to Esther. And also, you've got to bear in mind by this point that, yeah, the poor two, woman. Two husbands. Yeah. In, in the space of two years, two of her husbands had... Uh, Was she actually injured as well? Because she helped fight off... The, uh, I wonder if she, like, actually sustained any injuries when she was doing um, that. It says... Yeah, so let me try and find out. Um... Yeah, it says, um, on October the 27th, 1919, the ex-man attacked Esther and Mike Pepitoni at their home on the corner of South Scott and Aloha Street. Esther had accidentally... Oh, yeah, she'd accidentally fallen asleep in the living room. So that's obviously mm. was a, was lucky by her because she could have been had her head bashed in, I guess, before he, the ex-man even attacked Mike um, or whoever attacked them that night because obviously she originally claimed that it was two unidentifiable creatures. Mm. But, yeah, she had accidentally fallen asleep in the living room that evening but woke up at around 1am to the sound of her husband's blood-curdling screams, she ran to their bedroom to find what she described as two unidentifiable dark creatures in her in her bedroom fleeing the scene. Her husband's head had been struck 18 times and he died two hours later. So, um, yeah, she didn't get physically no. injured at all. Um, just very mentally scarred, I imagine. Mm. I said, I can imagine by the time that um, Joseph Mumphrey paid her a visit, I can imagine she was very paranoid, hence the having a gun mm. so readily yeah, available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting, I mean, you can imagine why, but um, whether it's because of the actual physical head trauma or because of the mental trauma, some of the attacks where the people did survive, it goes on to say, doesn't it, that they were, like, never the same again. Yeah, but, and that know. none of them could actually, or, or some of them couldn't even remember what had happened. Yeah, all. whether it was for head trauma or some sort of, like, psychological scarring, mm. probably a combination of both. But yeah, they couldn't remember too many details. Yeah, because sometimes you like protect yourself by not remembering things mm. if people go through traumatic experiences. Yeah, that's what they say, don't they? It's one of the things that like psychologists and psychiatrists help you get through, isn't it? Or you it's know. almost like you said when people get burnt as well. It's like your body just s- switches off after thirty seconds. After a while, yeah, you well, yeah. I think that's more to do with your actual nerve endings mm. getting burnt away. But as yeah, a protection mechanism well, as well. Or? But you can die of shock, can't you, and things like mm. that, which you mm. could say is maybe along those lines. You know, rather than almost like putting up with the ordeal of whatever's happening, your body's just like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check yeah. out. Describing like outer body experiences and that as well. It's when something traumatic happens with the body, that's when they'll have like an outer body experience. They'll realize mm-hmm. they're like floating above themselves and stuff because yeah. like it's almost, yeah, the part of your like psyche is just like, nope, mm, get yeah. out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's brutal, man, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Crazy. Um, Get your keyboard, Drew. <laughs> We're going to try and redeem ourselves. Time for round two. Oh, dang. I don't even know what I'm... I don't even really know what we're going to do, but should we just see? Jam it out.
him where you can Just lock up your doors and hide Mobster or demon Just run as fast as you can Demon or man It's just too bleak. <laughs> That's a bleak turn. <laughs> Drew's demonstrating the bleakness with the meekness of the foreboding tone. Axeman, if you're out there, you scum. Spank your bum Twisted demon Trapped in hell Where some man's ringing your bell You twisted demon of the night May the souls of the deceased Now rest in peace Unlike the spirit of the Axeman The Axeman the Axeman of New Orleans This has been Mystery Mondays. Have a safe evening, everyone. We'll see you next week.